Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father, and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ, and to be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that was to be yours made careful search and inquiry, inquiring about the person or time that the Spirit of Christ within them indicated when it testified in advance to the sufferings destined for Christ and the subsequent glory. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, in regard to the things that have now been announced to you through those who brought you good news by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The Word of God for the people of God. Author of Life, we thank you for your word, and we ask that as we reflect upon it this morning, your spirit would be with us to transform us in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. Between Easter and Pentecost, we are going to be reading through most of the letter titled First Peter. Traditionally, this letter has been understood to have actually been written by the Apostle Peter, as its introduction would suggest. However, as early as the mid-800s, some were questioning whether this assumption was true. Ishodad of Merv argues in his commentary that what is found in this letter is, quote, very inferior to the exactness of the teachings of Peter as they are found in the Acts of the Apostles. Among modern scholars, the debate continues with some noting that the style of Greek found within this letter seems uncharacteristic for a Galilean fisherman. 
What matters, though, is not so much who wrote this letter, but what is contained within the letter. Because what we can say with certainty about this letter is that it was written to Jewish communities across modern-day Turkey who had joined the movement of people following Christ. You see, already by this point in history, there were Jewish communities and diaspora across the Mediterranean world. In a somewhat unusual way, we have more in common with these communities and the authors of all the epistles than we usually do. One of my classmates from seminary has been commenting on how she understands Paul's letters so much better now that she also isn't able to see her congregations face to face. And I agree with her, because it is so different to know that we are united as one in Christ's body when we aren't actually able to gather together. I feel for Paul and Peter and all the other authors of the epistles who are sending the word of God out into the world, trusting that it will get where it needs to go. I also feel for the communities who received these letters in a different way than I have before. Many of us probably have friends who live far away that are part of the body of Christ, but we've still had our local community to support us. For many of these fledgling communities, it was probably a really isolating experience whenever their teachers or neighbors would set off down the road to spread the word of God somewhere else. I can better appreciate now the excitement that must have come from hearing any news from those that they can't be with in person anymore. And these folks actually have something else in common with us that Peter mentions right here in the introduction to this letter. After speaking about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, Peter goes on to say, Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. Even though these communities were not as chronologically removed from Christ's life as we are, they were just as physically removed as we are. So right off the bat, we share in common a big challenge with these folks. Sometimes, our Christianity gets taken for granted in a way that we overlook what a big ask it actually is to believe in the resurrection. In today's gospel lesson, we see that Thomas, an apostle, one of the twelve people closest to Jesus, can't even believe his eyes when Jesus is standing right in front of him. And Thomas gets a bad rap. His name has become synonymous with doubt. But imagine for a second that you are in his place. Imagine that you watched your teacher and your friend nailed to a cross. You watched as soldiers pierced his side with a spear and saw the blood come pouring out. And then you see him standing right in front of you again. 
honestly, the reaction from Thomas is incredibly human and understandable. So where does that leave the rest of us? Those who don't have the benefit of putting our hands through the piercings in Jesus' hand. We, like the people of the communities in exile, have faith alone to convince us. It is the movement of the Spirit within our hearts that leads us to know the truth. This leads me to the next thing that we have in common with the communities addressed in this letter. It is a challenge to the world that we live in to say, I know the truth, though I have not seen it with my eyes. It may have a different name now than it did then, but the understanding of the world only trusts what it can see and taste and touch and feel and hear for itself. If you can't provide the physical proof, then where is your truth? This is just one of the ways that the wisdom and understanding of God differs from that of the world. And that is the heart of this letter. The entirety of this message that we will explore over six weeks is what it means to live as Easter people in a world that only sees an empty tomb. It is an exhortation to live as people who are already in the kingdom of God, even while the powers and principalities still exist around us. But for now, in this introduction, we only get a little taste of what is to come. Peter reminds them and us of the foundation upon which our faith is built. In not so many words, what Peter begins with is the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Even though this hope is centered on Christ, it is good news for every one of us because through the death and resurrection, we have been brought into the family of Christ. We have been made heirs to God alongside the Son with whom God was well pleased. It is this promise of inheritance, this knowledge of what is to come, that is the bedrock of Peter's argument. We are not people who chase after the things of this world. We do not store up treasures upon this earth or seek after glory and vanity or power and fame because we know that these things will pass away. They may satisfy a person for a time, but they will not nourish the soul. Instead, those who have genuine faith know that our hope born of the resurrection is a hope that the world is powerless to stop. Just as death could not keep Jesus in the tomb, suffering cannot keep the Christian from a living hope. And this isn't just some feel-good motivational speech from Peter. 
He knows that disagreement with the world leads to punishment, torture, death. This is not simple naivete. No, this hope runs deep. In this hope you rejoice, says Peter, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer trials. Peter knows that what we have doesn't pass away. It is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Easter doesn't end at midnight when Sunday slips into Monday. It doesn't end when Pentecost arrives and we move into a new liturgical season. Easter is every day, every hour, every minute. Every new moment is a resurrection moment. Every new second is a second that God moves us closer to reconciliation. The Spirit is loose. The day of the Lord is upon us. And Peter is going to show us how to live into that reality. Amen. Please pray with me. Eternal God, you have set your kingdom upon the earth. Teach us how to walk in your ways. Show us how to be Easter people. Let the world know that we belong to you by the ways that we don't belong to it. Amen.